So today, the, the message, I've entitled the message today, What God Has Cleansed, Do Not, Do Not Call Unclean. And as some of you will know, we're, we're kind of going back again over some of the ground that we've already covered. And quite honestly, um, I did not want to do this today. I, I was really kind of wanting myself to move on. I want to you know, keep going through the text of Acts, move on to the next thing. But I, I have to tell you that I felt, I really felt compelled by the Lord. Like, no, you need to camp out here for a bit. And um, there's still more things that you need to consider from this story. And so that's why we're coming back to it. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're looking again at Acts chapter 10. That'll be really kind of our main text. But I included, as you can see, I, can, I, I included Galatians chapter two because it's relevant to um, what we want to look at. But, but what I want us to know is that the issues that surrounded Peter's going into the house of Cornelius, remember Cornelius was a Roman centurion, um, so Peter goes into the house of Cornelius, and, and with that act, the gospel is crossing over into the Gentile world. These issues are of such importance, um, and they're, they're still important for us today. And so I want to look at how they, they apply to us. We, we applied it a little bit last time, but I want to apply it in a bit of a different direction today. But I want to start with this. Who was Peter? Now, I, most of us kind of have an idea of who Peter was. But what I want us to see uh, simply, first and foremost, that, that Peter was, as we would all kind of assume, I mean, you know, Peter was like a solid Christian. You know, he was a guy, uh, there, there wasn't any doubt in anybody's mind uh, whether or not Peter was a true believer, right? And, and if we just take a quick look at his uh, history, that will just affirm that. So, uh, first of all, Peter was one of three men who were the closest to Jesus. So Jesus had an inner circle, and that inner circle was made up of Peter, James, and John. And usually when those three are referred to, that's the order that they're referred to in. And so Peter was part of that inner circle. He's the, uh, he's the only person um, other than Jesus to walk on water. Think about that. Peter walked on water. Every time I go to Israel and we have our stop at the Sea of Galilee and I usually wake up early in the morning and I'm looking out at the sea and I'm always amazed, like, wow, this body of water, two people walked on this. Now, people don't walk on water, right? This doesn't happen anywhere on any body of water, but two people walked on this body of water. One of them was the Son of God, so we can kind of understand that, but the other was a sinner named Peter. He walked on water. Uh, Peter was the first um, one to acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus asked that question, who do men say that I am? And there were various opinions. And then, then he said, but who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who spoke up and said, you're the, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said uh, to him, he said, my father, uh, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father in heaven. Um, Peter was then given by Jesus the keys to the kingdom. And we see that he, he exercised that authority that Jesus gave him. He was the first one to preach the gospel after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. He preached, as we know from Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost. And on that day, 3,000 souls were brought into the kingdom. Uh, he was the first one 
of the apostles uh, to perform a, a miracle, a, a post-resurrection ascension miracle. Peter, you remember the, the man uh, there in chapter three, the lame man at the gate, beautiful. Uh, Peter says, silver and gold we do not have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, and that man was healed. Peter was the one responsible for that. Um, he was the first one apart from Jesus to raise someone from the dead. We briefly mentioned that in our last study. Uh, there in the, the end of the ninth chapter, it talks about Tabitha or her Greek name Dorcas and how she had died and uh, Peter raised her from the dead. And so now we see here in the story again, uh, Peter is now, he's the one to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So as we look at Peter, uh, the one thing, like I said, I think we can, one of the things that we can walk away from, uh, what, we, what we can learn is that um, Peter shows us that even as a Christian, a solid, genuine, spirit-filled Christian, we can still at times be influenced and controlled by deeply ingrained prejudices that are inconsistent with the heart and the mind of Christ. That, that's what we see if we look closely at this. Now, again, one of the reasons why I'm coming back to this is because that, that truth kind of just kept coming up in my thinking over the week. Because here's what happens. Uh, sometimes when we see an inconsistency or we see something that it's like, well, wait a second, you know, how, how could that person be a Christian if they said that or thought that or did that? Um, you know, if, if we think that way, then we fail to um, recognize that you genuinely can be a Christian, but God's not finished with us. We're all in a process and we can still hold on to uh, baggage that the Lord is going to free us of as time goes on. And what we see in the story here is that God will address our prejudices and he does so in order to uproot them from our lives. So what is the prejudice we're talking about? Well, remember here in verse 28, Peter, he is hesitant. He is reluctant to step across the threshold into the house of Cornelius. He says, look, you know how unlawful it is for, for a man who is a Jew to go into the house of those of another nation. Now, as I pointed out previously, that wasn't a, it wasn't a law according to God's word, but it was a strong tradition among the Jews. And so Peter, even though he's all of these other things, even though he is the, this apostle, he's, he's God's man. He still has these areas, and even, I'm sure for him, probably undetected until this moment, or until the, uh, the you know, previous day when he had the, the vision, suddenly he realizes himself like, wow, you know, <laughs> I have a bit of an aversion to the Gentiles. But here's the good news. God doesn't cast him away for that. God doesn't say, Peter, I can't use you because, you know, you've got this, this stuff ingrained in you. No, God patiently walks him through a process to bring him to the place where those things are being dealt with. 
Those things are being uprooted from his life. And so this is what we see here. We see God patiently walking him through it. He gives him the vision. Now, most of you probably remember, uh, previous to coming to the house of Cornelius, he, all of this started with Peter uh, being in Joppa. He has a vision of a, of a sheet being let down with all these animals on it. The voice speaks to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, uh, not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything uh, unclean. Jesus says, what, what God has cleansed, do not call unclean. And so Peter has this revolutionary revelation. Wow. You know, the, the message that Peter took away was um, the Gentiles. I'm, I'm, not to, I'm not to think of them or call them unclean any longer. So God, you know, patiently works him uh, through that process and brings him to this place. But as we saw in Galatians, Peter relapses. So a little while later, he's kind of drifted back into some of those things because that's how we are. Things can get so deeply rooted in our, in our hearts that they're, you know, they're, they, they have to be um, expelled. But, but you know, there's, the, there's the process like we've seen initially. But then in the Galatians passage in Antioch, we see that God was a little more forceful with Peter and he uses his servant Paul. And there, as Paul says, I rebuked Peter to his face. Now, that's a little different than having a vision. A vision coming down, that's kind of a private thing between God and Peter. God's saying, Peter, you got issues in your heart. We're going to deal with them. Let me show you. Peter's like, okay, I got it. But then he forgets it. So the Lord's like, okay, well, hey, Paul, confront Peter. That's a little more challenging because now Peter is kind of exposed. And he's, he's sort of being publicly <laughs> called out on this uh, prejudice that he has in his heart. But as a result of that, I think it's safe to say that Peter never regressed back into that again. Peter, um, as we just follow him through the rest of the book of Acts, if we read his epistles, it becomes clear that that was an issue that, that was dealt with and he moved on and he completely got it and un understood. So We need to realize that, that God patiently works us through these things. And, and we really need to um, understand that, I think, in the, in the current cultural moment. So since God is patient uh, with us, we need to be patient with one another. And we need to give each other space and time to grow. And as I said, um, especially in this cultural moment, because we're living in a time when it seems like so many are so quick to judge, uh, to condemn, and to write off those who have fallen short of their standard of righteousness. That's it's just kind of like the environment that we live in currently. Um, you know, think about this. If this story, if, if this were a contemporary story that made its way onto Facebook or Twitter, uh, you can be sure that Peter would have been roundly condemned and written off by some who call themselves Christians as a bigot, a racist, a hypocrite. I mean, that, you know, that's the environment that we find ourselves in today. It's almost like, you know, any area of disagreement 
is uh, immediately jumped on and there, there's no tolerance for any diversity of opinion. It's just like, you've got to agree with me. And if you don't, then you're this and that and the other thing. And it's not just people in the world that are engaging in that. Believe me, plenty, plenty of Christians are doing the same thing. And so that's why this um, situation here is important. It's important for us to see that God gives us space and room to grow. And we have got to give the same thing to each other. We've got to do that. Now, here's a question that I want us to consider. And we're going to need to consider it in two ways. We're going to need to consider it personally and individually. That's one way. And we're also going to need to consider it collectively as a church, as a congregation, as a body of people. We need to consider this question on, on both levels. And here's the question. What are some of our deep-seated prejudices that might hinder or limit or prevent God's work in somebody else's life? That's a question that we have to ask ourselves. Because it's entirely possible that that is happening. And it's quite possible like we see with Peter initially, that we could be harboring those things that are, are going to really hinder somebody's progress, but we don't even know it. I, I don't think Peter even realized before he had the vision that he still had this issue. And then when he gets to the house of Cornelius, he says, you know, this is unlawful, but God has shown me. So you see, he understood. No, God, God showed him that those, those attitudes were wrong. So we might have things you know, so, sort of just so deeply ingrained in us, we don't even realize that we have those biases. We don't even realize that we have those prejudices, but, but they're really there and they can then become a hindrance to the progress of the gospel. If, if those kinds of things are among us as, as a church, then those are the kinds of things that are gonna cause us to, to kind of shut the doors uh, to certain people, to, to send a message to some people that, you know, well, you're not really welcome in this situation. So, so we've got to ask ourselves uh, this question. Now, I want to tell you a story, a true story that happened just this past week. Um, so this past week, you know, uh, past, this past Sunday, if you were here, we, we looked at these passages. We talked about similar kinds of things. And we talked about the issue of racism, and we referenced Billy Graham, who uh, kind of stood against the, uh, the flow in his day when he did not allow segregation at the Crusades. Uh, Billy would later say that he, he regretted not doing more. Uh, but, but anyway, our point was, you know, racism is still a reality, and we, we still have to, to make sure that we're not carrying any of that baggage around with us. And that, that's not being a hindrance. We talked a little bit about, um, you know, looking back in time, we talked about how uh, when God poured out his spirit and, and the hippies came in, how uh, many churches were not all that excited to, to welcome them in, how Pastor Chuck opened the doors and, you know, he, he embraced them. And, and, you know, we talked about that. Uh, but, you know, after the service... Um, a young man who I know, uh, we had a conversation and he said, you know, today you really, um, he said, I, I just felt like you, you just completely avoided 
Uh, he didn't use the term the elephant in the room, but you know, that's basically what he was talking about. You completely avoided uh, the, the real issue today. Yeah, racism's still an issue. The hippie thing is kind of not an issue anymore. I mean, you could find some parallels. But he said, you know, the, the real issues today have to do with the LGBT people, with the gay and the trans community. And I said, you know what? You're right. It's true. That's, that is a huge issue in our culture today, right? I mean, it's, it's just a reality that's staring us in the face every single day. And I said, now, I, you know, I wasn't intentionally not wanting to address it. I was figuring that people could read between the lines, but um, yeah, we need to talk about this because there, there's a parallel, uh, I think, in with this issue and the kinds of things that we're talking about here uh, with, with Peter. But let me tell you, as I was talking to this person, um, you know, this, this is what he said to me. He said, you know, and, and this, this is a person who's been here at the church for some time. And, you know, he's kind of come in and out a little bit, but he said, you know, uh, I, I feel awkward. I feel um, misunderstood. And, you know, basically he was saying, you know, in some sense, I feel unaccepted. And, you know, and, and this is what he said that really struck me. He said, um, I, don't, I don't have a home. He kind of pointed away from the church. He said, I don't have a home out there, and I don't feel like I have a home here. And I said, listen, you got a home here. <laughs> Whatever we have to do to, to, to work through this, let, let's work through this because... The, that cannot be the thing um, that you feel here. That, no, you, you need to know that this is a place that you can come and be honest and yet uh, know that you're not going to be rejected for your honesty and, and you're going you're gonna to get the help that you need to continue to move forward in your relationship with the Lord. And so this is, this is a real thing that not just we as a congregation, but many churches, uh, you know, have to address this issue because I personally think that whether it's, I don't think it's limited to, you know, just individuals, but I think there, there are many churches that have uh, these kind of ingrained uh, prejudices that sort of you know, then manifest themselves in not so much verbally saying, you know, we don't welcome you, but, but that, that is kind of communicated or that, that's the sense that people get. And, and God help us not to be those people. God help us to give each other grace and space to grow uh, beyond our ingrained prejudices. God give us grace and space to grow uh, beyond, you know, the the sins that have bound us up. See that that's that's the people that we need to be, because these doors need to be open to every single person in the world. Every sinner who wants to come and find the Savior or to inquire about or to get some kind of an understanding, uh, everyone needs to know that they can walk through these doors and they're going to be welcome to come in. Everyone needs to know that. 
And if we don't know that, I mean, if they, you know, if that's not our mentality, then, then we're missing the point of the gospel. This is what the gospel is about. The gospel, uh, as we pointed out before, Paul says, look, I'm the chief of sinners and, uh, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's what he came in to do. And all kinds of sinners, every sinner. There's, there's not one uh, category of sinner that is, uh, you know, more uh, lost or, you know, would be on the reach of God. And, and so I, I want to talk about that for a second because this is a reality whether we like it or not. And here's the question, though. Why do we tend to see homosexuality differently than we see other sins? Because we do. <laughs> Whether we're going to admit it or not, we do. Now, I'm kind of speaking broadly, obviously. Not, not everybody is like this. But I think generally speaking, in the church, there, there is this, you know, we, we have been guilty, I believe, and I've been guilty of it in the past, of, of just sort of putting this in, in kind of its own category. Now, why do we do that? That's the question. Well, I think we do that for a number of reasons, but I'm going to give you two. Um, two that I think are important to understand that will help us get beyond that. Um, we have, I believe, misunderstood certain words and we've misunderstood certain Bible text. Uh, we've, we've misunderstood words and we misunderstood Bible text. So let's talk about words for a moment. Um, I'm going to talk about this word, a loaded word, abomination. Man, when you hear about abomination, don't you just like, wow, that's an abomination. You know, that's bad. That's like really bad. You know, an abomination is really bad. And I have heard this over and over and over again, and I still hear it. But you know, homosexuality is an abomination before God. Another way to translate that word, the NIV translates it detestable. That's a strong word too. So man, when you think of, well, this is an abomination. This is detestable. The idea that we are either embracing or communicating when we use that term, uh, we are, we, the idea is that this is like the worst of the worst of the sins. But here's the problem. That's not really an accurate understanding of the word Abomination. And the best way to understand abomination, I think, in its broadest and, and most accurate sense is a found, there, there are many other places that we could look at it, but I'm just going to look uh, for just a second with us at Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. And this is what it says. These six things the Lord detest, yes, seven are an abomination to him. So Proverbs is going to tell us right here seven things that are an abomination to the Lord. So here we go. The first one is a proud look. What? I mean, I kind of look proud all the time. You mean, what? Is that, 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 that's an abomination? Yes. A proud look is an abomination. Secondly, a lying tongue. Well, a, a lying tongue? Whoa, wait a minute, that, that, that can't be an abomination. We, we all lie all the time, right? Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who causes division among brothers. These things are an abomination. 
But you see, here's my point. We don't walk around going, look at that proud guy. He is an abomination before God. Or, you know, that woman, man, she lies. She is an abomination. We don't do that, do we? We reserve that word. So we, we completely misunderstood the word. And we reserved it for that one sin that we think that this is the worst because, after all, God said it's an abomination. So you see, that's a misunderstanding of the word. You know what? It's obvious that, that all sins are an abomination to God. There's not one sin that he says, these are bad, but man, this one is an abomination. There, there, there is no such thing. So, that, so we've erred in misunderstanding that word. But secondly, I think we've also erred in misunderstanding uh, biblical text. And I want to point us to Romans chapter 1. Now, anybody who knows their Bible knows in Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul there makes reference to those involved in homosexual activity. And what Paul says there is this. He says that God gave them over to a debased or a reprobate mind. So here's the problem. What we have done with that is kind of the same thing we've done with the word abomination. Because it says that God gave them over or God gave them up to a reprobate mind, uh, we've, we've interpreted that to mean, yeah, see, it's, it's over for them. They're beyond help. They can't be saved. God gave them up, meaning God's finished with them. Or that, uh, you know, they're, they're reprobate. Again, that's another strong word. You reprobate? That means like you're, you're beyond salvation. But listen, Paul absolutely could not have meant that for a number of reasons, one of them being the context of what he's saying, which I'll explain in a minute. But he couldn't have meant that because when he writes to the Corinthians, he says this. He goes through the list of a variety of different sinful lifestyles, and he includes homosexuality in it. And, and then he says to them, he's writing to the church, he says, you know, all of these things, he says, and such were some of you. But you have been, you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. So you see, Paul recognizes among the, the Christian congregations that there were people that came out of that lifestyle. So he certainly did not think that that group of people was beyond salvation. He did not think that God had given up on them. And as a matter of fact, if we interpret Romans 1 rightly, what we will understand is that Paul isn't really even addressing the issue of individual sin. He's not addressing the issue of individual sin. If you just follow through the remainder of the chapter, it becomes clear he's talking about, uh, he's addressing really cultures or civilizations that reject God, the creator, and he says, uh, these, these are the consequences. Th this is where things will go as a judgment by God for those who reject God. But he's not really talking specifically to or addressing specifically the individual sin. So if we, if we properly understand uh, words, and if we properly interpret uh, the biblical text, we will not make the mistake of thinking that there is a sin or sins that are in a special category that set people 
in the worst light or, or even worse than that, set them in a position of they are uh, unsavable or unredeemable. There's no such thing anywhere in scripture. So we have to correct our misunderstanding on that. Now, I'm gonna, I wanna bring this up as well. Um, the Bible does tell us that uh, homosexual activity and desire is, it's contrary to nature. It's not, it's not in accordance with God's natural order. It's not the, it's not the only uh, sin in the Bible that, that is referred to in that way, but it, but it does tell us that, and, and that's a reality. And listen, because of that, uh, sometimes we have reactions that are, I think, ungodly, unchristlike, and and just unallowed by the Lord. We 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 can't react this way. And, and let me just give you an example. So what happens sometimes is because that we have just a sort of some uh, st- people have a strong natural aversion to it. We we look at that and we say, oh, that's disgusting. That's just reprehensible. But you see, when you say that to a, you know, when you say that about a person, whether you meant it or not, they feel like you're saying to them, you are disgusting. Which underneath that is a hidden message like, I am better than you because I'm not disgusting like that. I don't have those vile, perverse desires like you do. So somehow you are putting them in a position of feeling like, they are, again, they're in that place where, well, you know, I'm, I'm disgusting. And listen, if you feel that way, okay. But if you say that, that's a problem. And, and, and even if you feel that way, that's a problem too. And, and God's gonna help you work through that, just like he did Peter. He's gonna work you through a process to show you. What's he gonna show you? He's gonna show you that, you know what? You're a sinner too. And you're filthy too. And you're vile. And you're perverted. But I'm speaking for God. I have never called you disgusting. See, God doesn't say that to us, does he? God has never said to me, Brian, you are just a disgusting sinner. You are just filthy and vile. God's never said that to me. We have no right to ever say that to anybody. We have no right. Because, listen, we're... (laughs) If we're going to point the finger, look, we got, we got, you know, three fingers pointing back at ourselves. You know, you see, the thing is, again, I might not have that particular issue as a sin in my life, but I've got my own issues, my own sins. And if I fall into the trap of thinking, yeah, but that's a worse sin. And then I just have a totally distorted view on what the Bible teaches about a lot of things. So we have to um, how, how do we, how do we, you know, how do we move forward with this? And, and, you know, listen, I want to go back to the story that I told a little bit earlier about uh, the young man who, who's a friend. I know him. And, and I just said, look, I, I'm sorry that you feel this way. And, you know, he was trying to explain to me the, the awkwardness of, uh, and, and, you know, the problem of feeling like you can't really be honest because if you're honest with people, then you're going to be rejected. And, and I just said to him, listen, no. No, no, no. We're, we're not going to do that. We, we are going to do better. We're going we're gonna to work on this. Uh, 
Let's work on this together. Let's learn how to uh, work with and and help each other and, and not just let this be a moment where, you know, Forget it. We, this is just the way it is. No, we, we can't allow that to happen. We can't afford to allow that to happen today. Because listen, this is the world that we live in. You know, I was with a friend some years ago in New York City. We were walking around and he said something that was simple but profound. And, you know, New York City, you can imagine, you know, we're just looking at all the craziness of everything. And he says, you know, this is not the world that we hoped for, but it's the world we got. And I said, you know, Amen. That's it. This is not the world I envisioned. It's not the world I wanted my grandkids to grow up in, but it is the world that we've got. And the only hope for the world that we've got is the gospel. That's the only hope. So if people of whatever stripe or sin feel like they are not welcome to those places where the gospel is going to be heard or whatever, then that's a massive problem. So, so we can't let that happen. We, we've got to work together. So, so what do we do? Well, we, this is where we start. We, we start. we start by remembering we are all sinners saved by grace, and we are all in a process of sanctification. We're all in a process of sanctification. You know, when I was a young pastor, I've been a pastor almost 40 years now. When I was a young pastor, I used to think sanctification should go much quicker. With everybody else, of course. I never really even thought to apply it to myself. But, you know, for everybody else, it's like, what are you doing? Come on, get with the program, you know? Are you even saved? You know, slap them in the back of the head kind of a thing. Uh, But you know what I've learned in 40 years almost of pastoring? I've learned that there is a process that that God's working out in people's lives. And it's it's a lot more complicated and longer than I ever thought it was going to be. You know, and some people you see like you know, they, they just seem to have this radical conversion experience where, man, they just get, you know, freed from something and they never go back and all of that. And that is fantastic. But you know, that doesn't happen to everybody. That's the reality. It doesn't happen that way for everybody. And the other thing that we often overlook is they got delivered from that one thing that was so glaring and so obvious, but man, there's a ton of other things that they still got real issues with. And God, like we're seeing, you know, patiently, graciously works us through these things. So since that's the way God works, we have to be that way toward one another. And we all need to, uh, we all need one another's love and support and encouragement and prayer. And we all need to know, listen, we all need to know that rather than being judged and cast aside, we will be embraced and carried along to maturity in Christ. That's what we all need to know. Everybody who walks through that door, whatever they're struggling with, they need to know that, you know, they're entering into a process and and we're going to help them through that process. We are going to help them. I'm going to help them. You're going to help them. We're going to help each other as God's people. Work through this, this sanctification process so that we can all come into the maturity that Christ is calling us to. But again, there are things that we need to know that I think sometimes we're unaware of. Here's one. We need to know that God's answer to homosexuality is not heterosexuality. This is a mistake that we often make. And this is part of the the uncomfortableness that this young person was telling me about. Because you know, when a person is found out about, you know, their their previous life and their background, the the immediate 
uh, response is, oh, oh don't, don't worry, we're going to find you a girl. You know, there's a good girl out there. You're going to get married. And, and this is very common. But listen, the truth of the matter is this. It's not, uh, heterosexuality is not the answer to homosexuality. You know what the answer is? Holy sexuality. And Christopher Yuan has sort of coined that frame. Christopher Yuan, who came out of uh, the gay world, a, a gay activist who is now a Bible professor at Moody Bible Institute. But, you know, as a, as a man in his 40s who is not married, probably doesn't have, in the end, any you know, desire toward that. I don't know. I haven't really talked to him about it. But, but his emphasis is on, you know, the Bible calls us to a holy sexuality because you can be heterosexual and be just as filthy, just as wicked, just as sinful, right? I mean, come on. That's just, you know, that's not the answer. The answer is holy sexuality. So here's what we need to understand, that some people will come out of the gay life and go into a heterosexual marital relationship, and they will live out their lives uh, in Christ in that context, and that's great. That's wonderful. But that's not the experience of everyone. Some people are going to live the rest of their lives with those same-sex attractions. They're going to live the rest of their lives with that struggle being there but they are going to commit themselves to living holy. They're going to commit themselves to living for Jesus and understand that that means celibacy. That means that I will not engage in any sexual activity. They're, they're going to understand that and they're going to commit themselves to that. And we need to applaud that and encourage that and, and support them in that. And, and this is something that we have to think about. You know, I read a lot. I you know, listen to things and all. And it's kind of interesting that this all came up this week because I've been, I've been reading about um, kind of the, um, I don't know, kind of, kind of the frustration among single people in the church. And one of the frustrations that single people express in the church is that they're, they often feel like they're sort of being looked at as sort of second-class citizens because they feel like in some ways, and there's some research that is kind of attached to this, that in some ways the church is so uh, sort of glorified marriage that you, you, it's almost just without saying it, the impression that's given is like, this is God's perfect plan. This is God's ideal. And if somehow, you know, you're uh, 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 and you're not married, something's wrong. So they feel as, as, as single people that this is a problem. And then, of course, so you've got, you've got that, just the general group of single people. Then you have the subgroup of single people who struggle with same-sex uh, issues. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, of course, uh, the Bible applauds singleness. Jesus was single. We know that. He could not have been married. It would, he just couldn't have done it because of his mission. But Paul was single, and we sometimes forget that. It was a single guy who wrote, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives submit to your husbands. And Paul, um, Paul encouraged singleness. Of course, he supported marriage. He understood that, yes, God created marriage as well, but not to the exclusion of singleness. Paul said, hey, I'm single, and guess what? I'm, I'm much freer to serve the Lord. I don't have the distractions that the married people have. But in the end, he said, look, if you're married or single, either one, just serve the Lord. It doesn't matter. But, 
but sometimes what happens to us is we, we just have an insensitivity. And it, whether we're intending to do it or not, we, people kind of feel like, well, you know, I'm just that sort of the outcast because I'm, I'm single or, you know, because I'm not, you know, maybe, maybe coming out of a gay uh, life experience, I'm not really looking for an opposite sex partner to get married to. I'm just going to commit myself to serving the Lord like this. And, and you know, that, that can be misunderstood and there could just be unnecessary um, issues that develop there. So, so what I'm saying is that we all need to grow in, in areas. And we want and I'm speaking for all of us as the pastor of this church, we want our church to be a place where anyone from anywhere can come and find Jesus and be given the space to grow and mature in him. Listen, grace gives space. Grace gives space. When you understand God's grace, you understand there's a lot of space here. God gives people space. That's not, a, that's not an excuse for sin. It's just the reality that we, we all sin. We stumble. We, we're, we're all in a process. We're all growing. We're all having things change in our life. And going back to where we started, Peter, you know, he's the guy. It's like, man, this is the guy. He's the, one, he's the chief apostle. He's the, but Peter's got issues. And God didn't just cut him off, say, hey, no, sorry, you got those issues. No. God gave, because of grace, God gave him space to grow. And we need to do that for one another. And I'll say this in closing, final thought here. Uh, there's, there's two different people in this room today. Two different categories, if you will. Uh, there, there are some who need the kind of awakening that Peter had in the house of Cornelius. There are some who need that revelation that, man, I've got, I've got deeply ingrained issues, prejudices that, that God, I, Lord, you got to get this stuff out of me. I got to repent of this. That's some people. Um, and, and in that group too, there's some people who uh, you, you've already kind of learned that lesson, but you've drifted back. And so Paul's coming along and saying, I'm going to rebuke you to your face. You need to you need to deal with that. So that's one group. But then there's another group. And the other group is the group that has been offended, if you will, or has been made to feel that, whether, whether perceived or real, you, you've been made to feel like you're, you're unwelcome or whatever. And, and listen, for you, you've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. You've got to let that go. You can't allow that kind of resentment to, to be there because that's the very, uh, that's the soil that the devil plants his stake in, in unforgiveness and resentment. And he plants his stake in that. And then, you know, before too long, he's got you right back where he wants you. And so you, you have to forgive. And we, you know, we, we have to do that. We have to, and not just with this particular topic, you know, a lot of people carry around unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness, 
because they've, they've been offended and I'm not going to go to the church anymore because, you know, they don't understand me and they're not sensitive to me and all of that. And, and man, that is the enemy's, well, he loves that. And he will, he will feed that. He will fuel that. He wants you to get caught up in that mindset that we were talking about earlier, just that judgmental, harsh, you know, you hypocrites, you racists, you bigots, you whatever, you know, that's, that's the voice of the devil in the culture. And we have to refuse that. And we have to have grace for each other and recognize, man, we're all on a journey. We're, we're, all, we're, we're all in a process. And God's grace gives us all space. And so God help us to give, through grace, space to one another. So Lord, we pray that these things, Lord, I, I believe that this is a word from you because uh, I know that I wasn't really wanting to go in this direction today, but feeling compelled by the spirit. Lord, would you take these things and would you speak into our lives where we need to be spoken to? Lord, would you forgive us if we've uh, harbored, held on to uh, deeply ingrained prejudices and things like that. If we've had any kind of self-righteous view that we are somehow better than another sinner, Lord, forgive us of that. But Lord, likewise, if we've just written people off, thought of them as hypocrites, decided we're not gonna forgive them, we're going to hold on to that resentment. We're going to judge them harshly. Lord, help us not to do that. Forgive us. And Lord, may we all recognize and realize that as, as Christ Jesus received us to the glory of God the Father, might we receive one another. And Lord, may we be those who are about building up the kingdom through engaging with our brothers and sisters and helping them, helping each other in our journey toward holiness and toward heaven. We pray in Jesus' name.